Our New Testament reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 4, verse 6 from Holman Christian Standard Bible. Under the title, Undeserved Suffering. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to doing what is good? <laughs> but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. After being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient. When God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared, it was, in it a few, that is eight people, were saved through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that, although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there is a lot here in this passage. A lot of pieces, and some of them are sort of strange. 
um, that the Apostle Peter, or one of his followers, one of his disciples, wrote down in this first letter called First Peter. The letter is addressed to the exiles of the dispersion, exiles that we infer from this passage and others that we're experiencing suffering, unjust treatment for their belief that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is one of those passages that doesn't really stay on the surface of things, but really dives deep into some theology, some prophecy, and some interpretations of scriptures as to what is happening in order to make sense of it. The writer of 1 Peter, who I'll just call Peter for ease of it, uh, is talking about how these Christians, and therefore all Christians, face suffering and what it means for them. But it starts out kind of funny, right? Like, they're clearly facing su suffering, but he starts out by saying, uh, who will harm you if you are eager to do good? And it's like, come on, like, we are disciples of Jesus. Like, ask, ask Jesus who will harm you if you uh, only seek to do good. Or ask uh, the Apostle James, who was the first to die after Jesus. He was actually sawn in two with a, with a saw, right? Like, ask James who, who would be eager to harm you. Ask Bartholomew, another disciple who was killed with uh, knives. <laughs> His symbol is knives because he was killed with knives. Uh, ask Stephen, who we heard about last week, who was stoned to death for trying to do what was right and what was good. For that matter, ask Paul, who we knew as Saul from last week, who stoned, who, who stood there with the coats, watching the coats of those who stoned Stephen, who then later, once he became a disciple of Jesus, was in our, this passage we read earlier, dragged around Jerusalem, trying to be put to death everywhere he went. We know that he was imprisoned, beaten, drugged all over uh, during his time. And for that matter, we could ask Peter, the, the author, who was crucified on a cross upside down because he was not good enough to be crucified in the same way his Lord was. So who will harm you if you, you are eager to do good? Well, a lot of people will. <laughs> Following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus can take you to these dark places, prison cells and torture chambers and deathbeds. And first, Peter takes a stab as to why. For the exiles of the dispersion, probably these people were a lot of Gentiles, um, you know, maybe some Jews, but a lot of Gentiles who had formerly been a part of this group of pagans that now Peter is talking about. Peter says that they are surprised, the pagans, that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and so they slander you. They are mad that you don't join them anymore in this 
way of living that is sort of a waste of time and energy and resources, their unrestrained behavior. You can almost hear Peter saying, like, you not doing what you used to do with them is a critique of their lifestyle, right? They are surprised, and so they slander you. Now, I heard this amazing testimony. It was about a week and a half ago. Um, I had met this woman, and um, she was telling me how she became a Christian. And she kind of was telling me her whole story, and she was like a teenager when she became a Christian. And she um, kind of had this crazy teenage experience, and, uh, but she had these, these Christians at school, some rogue Nazarenes at school who had made friends with her. And um, they... She, she kind of like had kind of anger and, and hostility towards them, but they had like befriended her, and so they would, they would come and talk to her, and they'd be like, they'd always be nice to her, and they'd be like, hey, how's it going? What'd you do this weekend? And she would try to like really offend them, like with what she did over the weekend. She would tell them the most like most offensive things they thought that they would be offended by, and, and they were like, um, oh, okay cool, we, we, we went whitewater rafting with our youth group. And she was like, and they never, like, got judgmental or, or you know, and they're like, next time you should come, you know. Like, they always just accepted everything that she said and accepted her. And she finally kind of, like, wore her down in her own words. Like, she was like, I was exhausted by the life I was living. And I saw these Christians who I thought were going to be judgmental of this life, and they were just having so much fun, and I was just so tired. And I just wanted to be a part of that. I just wanted to be whatever they had tapped into, I wanted to tap into. And so she changed. She changed. And I imagine in the early church that we've been talking about in leading up to Pentecost and even today, that the Holy Spirit makes this, this, this community of faith, this, um, this church that God creates, when we um, are known by our love, that the Holy Spirit makes this so compelling for others. And just like back then, people are added to the numbers of Christians as God gives the growth because of the compelling lifestyles that we've seen in the Pentecost passage and how this love is sort of contagious, that people become convinced through the miracles that these Christians are doing that this Jesus really is the Messiah who is to come. It's something good, right, to buy into. But then we get to this passage, and the Christians aren't facing good things. They're facing suffering. And when we look at the words that we color, the green and the red, some of these words describe the things that we're hoping for when we turn to Jesus. Right? The green words. And then some of the things are the things we're hoping to avoid. The red words. And if we turn to Jesus and are trying to avoid suffering and death, and suffering and death come to us anyway, then what is our hope? What is the point in all of this? And this is what First Peter is addressing. 
And there, he's doing it in such a way that is so deep that we do have to sort of wade through some philosophy and some theology. He's quoting uh, prophets in the Old Testament, and he's trying to pull all the pieces together around a theology of baptism. And so, um, I'm actually going to set this down for a minute. So, you have like a couple of different philosophies that he's kind of addressing. And the first one is sort of like the Epicurean hedonists, right? Like the people who are um, the pagans in this scripture that he's talking about who are sort of, he calls, uh, fleshly living or living in the flesh. And these are people who um, are focusing on whatever pleasure that they can get out of life, right? Like that's what we want to maximize the pleasure, minimize the pain and suffering. And then, and then on the other side, we have uh, like Gnosticism, which arises out of early Christianity and is this belief that actually nothing, you know, that we're experiencing in a physical world is really real. The really real thing is the spiritual world, and the physical world is how we connect to the spiritual world, and it's actually our goal is kind of detachment from the physical world, an attachment with the spiritual world, because that's where the really real thing was. Now, Gnosticism was condemned early as a heresy, a false teaching, uh, but it's kind of still around today, isn't it? Like, like you can kind of, you know, there's kind of this extra spirituality that sometimes Christians can ironically embody it's like, it doesn't really matter about our bodies or our feelings or what happens in this world as long as we are saving souls. As long as people are getting their ticket to ride to the other side, if you know what I mean. But Peter is using um, this term in the flesh to describe these uh, people over here. Uh, but he's not like saying Gnosticism is the answer either. And so I think in the text when you read it, you're kind of like getting this false dichotomy of there's like in the flesh and in the spirit. And, you know, if we were going to like uh, place people in one of these two camps, the in the flesh people, like maybe they're like out at the bar, you know, they're, 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 they're living it up. They're living up life, Right? And these other people, these Gnostics, maybe they're at a Buddhist monastery, like, trying to reach enlightenment, right? There's, and they're sort of like, oh, these are two different groups of people. But really, like, they're, those groups of people can very easily be the same people. Like, if you don't care about what, if you don't think what matters here in the flesh and on earth, uh, you, if you don't think that matters, then it really doesn't matter if you seek pleasure here either, if you, as long as you've got your ticket to ride. And Peter isn't trying to create separation between our bodies and our spirits, but rather he is trying to create an image of a life rooted in God who is both body and spirit, both incarnation and rushing wind of Pentecost, a church that is both God's body and God's temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter is telling a story in our history here to describe this connection, not a separation from the physical and the spiritual. He's trying to connect 
the physicality of the spiritual realm and the spirituality of the physical realm. And he chooses a funny story or metaphor to do that. The flood. The waters from one of the most ancient texts that came and destroyed the people because the scripture says the people's choices to follow the gods of hedonism and epicureanism. And the story says that every thoughts of the people's heart were only evil all the time. And those people, they suffered and they died in the flood. They slandered Noah. They were focused on what they could see and what they could feel. And there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It had never rained, is what the story says. They couldn't see beyond the physicality. And so they, they couldn't see that there was something beyond that. And into the created order, and I might say, because it's Mother's Day, uh, the birthed order of creation that God had created. And so when the waters came... When the flood came, they died. And it's like Peter's using this metaphor of the flood as a way to talk about all suffering. Because in the ancient world, for the people of God, the place where the dead went, the place we hear about in the Psalms all the time, is a place called Sheol. Sheol is the realm of the dead. And one of the main metaphors used for the realm of the dead, the place where it existed, is under the seas. Underwater, under the sea, under the water. And so when the flood came, it's like, it's like the, that the created order, the waters above and the waters below that God separated in order to make space for, for life to exist came back together. And that is what created life not being able to exist, except for Noah and his family. And um, sorry. Um, and this, so this flood is this reversal of the of the creation order. And the people, the way the people that Peter is talking to, these Gentiles that he's writing this letter to, who are suffering, he says that they're actually. In their suffering, they're taking part of the suffering of Christ. It's as if um, he is making this picture of this flood, this water, that contains all the death and suffering that, and harm that exists. This, what happens when we live outside of God's created order? Uh, and he's saying that Noah and his family were saved through the water. What could that mean? And what does it mean that he says that baptism, which corresponds to this, saves you now? I mean, this is kind of strange, right? What we must realize, at least from context clues, is that our baptism, which he equates to our salvation, doesn't mean that we won't face suffering. We suffer like everyone else. Everyone suffers. But some, Peter is saying, for some, this suffering is actually life-giving somehow. It's 
conscious clearing. It's death-forsaking suffering. So let me try to say it a different way. The flood is here, and you can see it everywhere. Unrestrained behavior, uh, way, the ways that we can worship idols uh, of commerce, bodies, celebrities. I mean, Taylor Swift was in town. Amen. Uh, or just getting and having power. The, the idolatry that exists when we live outside of God's creator order and make something else God... When these things become idols and we worship them, it leads to suffering and death. The similarity, you this, okay, similarity between like following Jesus and do like buy into whatever philosophy that floats your boat, the similarity is both boats are going down, right? That's the similarity. Because Jesus said, like, Pick up your cross and follow me. Like, both boats are going into the suffering. Like, we're going down, right? But the difference, the difference between following Jesus and, and buying into whatever philosophy floats your boat today is that Jesus' boat comes back up. Right? Jesus' boat is resurrected. And, and that's what Peter is trying to communicate. It's like kind of this complicated idea, but it's like a very simple idea at the same time. That for the Christian, sufferings are real. They're just as real as they are anywhere else or to anyone else. But somehow suffering is also transformed. Now, for the Christian, suffering is real, but suffering is also transformed. There's not following Jesus that leads to the floodwaters, and there is following Jesus that leads to death as well, but also to resurrection. Death and resurrection are like two sides of the same coin, when it comes to God. You can't separate them. Our bodies are inexplicably, uh, indispensably linked to our faith. Okay, so let me say that again just to dispel any traces of Gnosticism left. Our bodies are indisplicably, indispensably linked to our faith. Suffering and pain is hard and it can be sad, but it can also be happy in an Easter sort of way because it is not the end and we have a living hope because we are being saved through this because of, after, in spite of, there is a deeper magic still. There is resurrection prefigured by Noah who was saved from Sheol. And you are saved through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Being bound with Jesus in your spirit and in your flesh. Becoming one with Jesus through your baptism 
You unite not just in his death by going under the flood, in his suffering, but also with his resurrection in coming back up. When you are baptized, you are drowned, in a sense, to the fleshly idolatry. We're not forsaking the flesh. We're using a metaphor of shallow living because we're connecting our bodies with our spirits. And because you die in baptism, you are joined with Christ in his suffering and death and resurrection. And because you are joined with Christ through his baptism, then you also are saved. After Stephen's stoning that we heard about last week, Saul has a glorious conversion. I'm sure you all know the story. But this conversion left him blind. Um, in complete darkness. And we always talk about turning to the light as like this metaphor for meeting Jesus, right? But this turning also requires a kind of death and darkness as well. And, and that doesn't mean we're on the wrong path, right? That doesn't mean we're on the wrong path. It means that we are participating in exercising these physical and spiritual muscles that must work to create a living hope. Before we finally see, we must pass through some blindness. And before we are resurrected, we have to face death. The person of Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life will not let us down. God is faithful and good. And we are united and saved through our baptism, through being united with Jesus' death and resurrection. That's why our suffering can be redeemed, restored, turned. That's why we could have any positive feeling about suffering. Because when we suffer, when we face suffering, we can rejoice because we have been united with Christ's suffering and we have a living hope for the future, even when we suffer. Let's pray. God, help us as we face suffering and trials to know the truth and the way and the life found in you gives us hope even in the darkness, can give us joy even in the midst of pain and suffering because we know that our experience is not all there is, but there is also 
more. There's the truth of your life, death, and resurrection. Give us strength and hope in these promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.